Yeah, I think, you know, what I loved about programming is that it was a place for me to go as a misfit, you know, as someone who wasn't necessarily like accepted in other places of my life. Like I could be on the internet and write code and, you know, I had a home. And so I do think that a lot of us programmers kind of can really relate to being left out. So there's a lot of empathy there. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. We have a great guest on this week. I'm going to let her introduce herself, so take it away. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's such a pleasure to be here. My name is Alex Chin. I'm here to talk about the, the Code Cooperative. What is the Code Cooperative? The Code Cooperative is a community of people who learn, use, and build technology to create life-changing possibilities for people that have been impacted by incarceration. And what that means is that we do a variety of things, all of it with the goal of building collective power for individuals and communities that have been impacted by incarceration. So either people who've been to prison, communities that are heavily criminalized. The things that we do vary. We hold free coding and technology classes for people who've been to prison. We build software for nonprofits and for prison abolition activists. We partner with activists, politicians, and technologists to develop liberatory technology that ideally supports communities that are impacted by incarceration. We do a lot of different stuff. And our goal is really to be the bridge between the tech industry in New York and communities that have been impacted by incarceration. For people that don't know, can you talk about the prison abolition movement and what that means? Prison abolition is not necessarily a word that everyone is used to hearing. Yeah, I think the context in which people hear about abolition has been mostly in the the case of like slavery. And there is a movement in, in the United States to really end mass incarceration, not by simply lessening the impact of mass incarceration, not simply by getting more people out of prison, but rather by saying like no more prisons. And that can be very controversial. And I'm like not a spokesperson at yep. all by any means for yeah. the prison abolition movement. But we feel deeply at the Code Cooperative that the way that the system of prisons is in the United States today is not one that can be reformed. And so we aim for for a world without prison. Something I've been aware of for a long time and why this is such a hot button issue is because of our levels of mass incarceration in the U.S. So one statistic that I'm aware of is that the U.S. has 5% of the Earth's population and 25% of the Earth's prison population. Yeah, the U.S. incarcerates more people than any other country in the world, and that wasn't the case until recently. There's 7 million people in the U.S., over 7 million probably, that are under con correctional control now, so either prison, jail, or on probation or on parole. One out of three Americans has a criminal record, and... The thing about mass incarceration is that it impacts us all, not only mm. people who have been to prison and their families, but when people are removed from communities, when people are put in a situation where they have no other like recourse to support themselves than to like go back to crime because there's no, you know, employment opportunities, there's no education opportunities once they get out of prison, that harms us all. So one mm. thing that we say at the Code Cooperative is that we're all directly impacted by incarceration and we're all complicit in it. And that's really what our community is about, we're a group of people who've been to prison and who haven't been to prison, who come together to learn to code and really we, to heal the wounds of mass incarceration together. That's great. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how this organization got started and how you got involved in it. You know, this isn't something that I thought I was going to be doing with my life. I'm a software engineer by trade. 
I studied computer science in school and then I became a full stack web developer in New York startups. And because of my own experience as a minority woman, software engineer, you know, I encountered a lot of discrimination and harassment. And I just felt deeply that I wanted to change the culture of this industry. So I decided to become a teacher for other people from underrepresented backgrounds so that I could help more folks who don't fit the status quo get into this industry so that we could change the culture together. So I started teaching women, people of color, immigrants, people without college degrees. And that really became my, my life's mission. And then in 2016, I read the book, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, mm. which is a really beautiful book that I recommend to everyone. I mean, I guess it's changed my life. And it's about the system of mass incarceration in the U.S. and about the legacy of slavery within the system today and how much of it was designed in order to, to keep people in prison and never in order to, you know, rehabilitate folks who have committed crime. It's really a, a money-making machine. And as I was reading this book, especially it talked a lot about, you know, the different aspects of racism that are at play in the system of mass incarceration and how that's slowly built up over the years. You know, we're here in this place where Black and Latinx people make up 32% of the U.S. population, and yet they make up over 50% of the U.S.'s incarcerated population. Mm. And so after reading this book, I felt really compelled to do something, um, but I didn't know what to do. I'm like, I have no idea about anything to do with the criminal justice system. Let me go learn from people who have experience with it. And maybe, you know, I can use my skills as a technologist and we can build some mm. technology together. I don't know. And so I emailed prisons in New York and nonprofits that worked with formerly incarcerated people. And I said, uh, you know, hey, I'm a software engineer and a teacher. Is that useful at all? And one of them, the Fortune Society, a really beautiful organization, they work with formerly incarcerated people. They emailed me back and they said, yes, of course, a lot of our clients want to learn to code because, you know, it's 2016, everyone wants to learn to code. So I started teaching there uh, in their computer lab, volunteering on the side a couple hours a week. And my students were really great. Most of them were like in their, they had six students. They were like in their 50s, early 60s. They had been in prison for a long time and some of them didn't even really know how to use a computer. Mm. And they were really stoked about the material. But it was hard for them to make consistent progress because they only had access to a computer two hours a week in the oh. computer lab. And I was like, well, I work at a New York startup. I know for a fact we have laptops just sitting around in the IT closets that like the interns have barely used this summer. I know that's the case all over the city. Mm. So I decided to kind of like launch a laptop donation campaign for my students so that they'd be able to learn more consistently, put up codecooperative.org. I think it was like the day after the elections in 2016. It just so happened to be on the same day. And within a couple of weeks, I had 30 laptops donated to the class. And I only mm. had six students. And um, continued to teach there for about six months. And then the nonprofit, the Fortune Society, their, their computer lab at that location had to close. They ran out of funding. So I had to stop teaching there. But once this story was out there, once people knew what I was doing, more folks wanted to learn with me. My friends wanted to teach with me. And tech companies wanted to donate more resources. And so it kind of organically grew. And now it's like three years later and we're running our third class. We're calling it a fellowship now. We have 18 fellows and we have eight volunteer mentors who are all software engineers. And yeah, I mean, we're, we're now like a community and what we do has changed so much and evolved since, since what I did when we first started. And our mission is really to build collective power for, for people that have been impacted by incarceration because it is a deep tragedy and an injustice, one that I think a lot of people in the tech industry want to see fixed. And so the Code Cooperative is just a vessel 
for this dream of how do we end mass incarceration? Well, let's start on a really small scale. Let's just bring people together who, who have experience with the criminal justice system and people who don't, and uh, let's, let's figure it out together. That's really inspiring. Let me ask you, when you are teaching fellows, is the idea that they're going to get a certain set of skills and then be able to go out and apply for jobs? Is there a pipeline that you're building that takes them from you know, the education side to the employment side? What is the connection between the skills they acquire and the empowerment or you know, the reintegration, the you know, anti-recidivism? Recidivism is, is one of the main issues surrounding the criminal justice system. 40% of people who leave prison return to prison within three years. And so it's really a cycle. And one of the things that prevents recidivism or interrupts the cycle is education, employment, stuff like that. And so that's where the Code Cooperative comes in. And our goal until now has never been jobs. You know, we've always been a volunteer-led, fully donation-based project. And so up until now, we've, we've been very primarily a learning community and not like a jobs training program. We're not a a programming boot camp. We meet on Saturdays uh, for five hours for for four months. That's that's our model. And we've had to adapt to really the needs of our fellows because we have people coming in with a very diverse set of skills and experience with computers. We have people Mm -hmm. who come in who don't really know how to use a computer. You know, they've been inside for a long time. They don't really know how to use the internet. And we have folks who are super computer savvy, super tech savvy. And then we have folks who've like already learned to code before they went inside or inside. There's actually some really fantastic, you know, computer science and coding education programs in Mm. very few select prisons. This is not at all a widespread thing. And so because of that, what we do is we have more of a kind of like study group model, kind of like, you know, the Recurse Center, I guess, Mm. if you're familiar with them. So people show up and everyone has their own learning goals and set of experience. And we have a bunch of volunteer mentors who are there to facilitate the experience and offer guidance. And so everyone learns at their own pace. And we have a lot of overlap in terms of what people learn. We have, you know, some lectures on big topics that everyone should know about, like Git and GitHub or like, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, we're we're a learning community. We're a study group. Our goal is for everyone to leave having met their own goals having the ability to self-learn and the passion and the confidence Mm. to do so. And some of our fellows do actually want to start a career in tech. And I I think they have beautiful careers ahead of them. And so actually what we're working on now, our next, um, I guess, program is a paid apprenticeship program for formerly incarcerated people to learn on the job at tech companies. And that we're we're hoping to launch May, June of 2020. Amazing. Something people might not know is that in the U.S., when someone's been in prison, we make them disclose that before they apply for jobs, which I think leads to the recidivism issue a bit or contributes to it because it's just so much harder for them to, you know, have a career. So teaching them skills like coding, I think, seems like something that would be extremely beneficial as a way to help them get jobs post-prison. You may have heard that there's a lot of jobs in tech open. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of, you know, everyone's always looking for talent, you know, and it's just going to continue to grow. Like, I don't even know what is the statistic now of like, by the year 2020, there will be like X number of 100,000 open jobs in computing, but it continues to grow. So really 
creating pathways for employment for formerly incarcerated people within tech is something that serves both, I mean, serves everyone because when fewer people are in prison, everyone does better, right? There's like less crime, it's more safe. The idea that preventing people who are coming home from prison from like being members of society is making people more safe, that's a fallacy. It's mm -hmm. actually like the safest thing is for people to be successfully like rehabilitated right. into society. Mm. And so that's that's one thing is that we do need to provide good quality job opportunities for people returning from prison, not just, you know, ex-con type jobs. Like, yeah. you know, there's there's very traditional pathways for people leaving prison, which is like construction or those types of jobs, which are good jobs, but like that can't be the only Sure. job like you know people who go to prison are like everyone else we all have like different dreams and goals and skills yeah and so there needs to be a variety of options available and so that's one thing we need to provide jobs for folks coming home and also there's so many jobs that need to be filled in tech you know so this is really i don't win-win seems like a, a very uh silly way to put this but just uh like a great opportunity for for everyone in this city yeah we have some stats here from a piece we're going to put up in a little while it says they're 220,000 open job listings for software developers in the United States and 35,000 new computer science majors graduating from the U.S. universities every year. So a big gap in terms of the number of people who are being educated to fill those positions, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, and I'm sure everyone here at Stack Overflow knows that you don't need a computer science degree to be yeah. a great software engineer. Yeah. I mean, Sometimes people here say the opposite. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I will true. say I have a computer science degree and what I learned about like writing production level quality code is, you know, maybe 1% of my CS degree helped me do that. Yeah. Do you think that there is less bias in the tech industry against people who have criminal records? It's interesting, you know, you're sort of saying before you feel like this is something the tech industry really wants to see happen. And now you're participating in a movement. It made me think of that recent episode of Silicon Valley where they were like, it's okay to be anything except for Christians. We hate that. And, you know, <laughs> so the joke was like, you know, whatever, whatever you wanted to be was okay, but just not religious, please. And, you know, Silicon Valley is a satire, but I, but I do wonder like, yeah, if there's a certain uh, sort of openness again, where it, there's a lot of autodidacts and self-taught people. And so if you've taught yourself something and you can show your work, that I think is what counts above all else. You know, I think that's true to a certain degree. And also like, you know, I've learned that the tech industry is not a meritocracy, right? And just mm. because I'm good and I can show that I'm good, that doesn't mean that I'm going to have the opportunities that other people have because of like the ways that I'm being perceived. And there is a huge stigma that has to do with people coming home from prison. But I do think that the tech industry is is a prime industry for being more open to, to people coming home because people in the tech industry, at least in New York, from what I've experienced, are pretty liberal, um, pretty on the side of criminal justice reform. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of conversation around diversity and inclusion. I believe that everyone wants to see more of that happen. And yeah, I think, you know, what I loved about programming is that it was a place for me to go as a misfit, you know, as someone who wasn't necessarily like accepted in other places of my life. Like I could be on the internet and write code and, you know, I had a home. And so I do think that a lot of us programmers kind of can really relate to being left out. So there's a lot of empathy there. Mm. One story that you have that I've always found really powerful is just the experience that you have, um, just how differently you're treated after you cut your hair. 
Mm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I have this this talk that I give. It's called "Shaving My Head Made Me a Better Programmer." Spoiler alert: That's not exactly true. <laughs> um, don't try it at home, folks. <laughs> it's too late for me. It's too late. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, when I when I started writing code and and I started uh, working in uh, in tech, I had a uh, long hair and I presented as very feminine, and I encountered a lot of sexual discrimination and harassment. It was really hard for me because I I felt that I was good and I loved writing code so much. Like the minute I started doing it, I fell in love with it when I was, you know, 18. And it was really difficult for me because I was treated like I was dumb and unskilled and didn't belong. And I was put in a lot of situations that were really scary and uh, made me feel like I shouldn't even try. And I figured... You know, I'm a hacker, so I'm going to hack my appearance. And so I shaved my head and it was, I mean, it was weird. Like people treated me like a hacker afterwards, you know, because I looked like one. I looked like a kind of like cool punk and I, I stopped getting questioned about my expertise and people stopped hitting on me at tech conferences, which was like a very, it was very freeing to be able to walk into a room full of programmers and just like be. The amount of mental space that it takes to like be on vigilant, hyper vigilant, you know, in your workspace, that takes away from your ability to write good code Mm -hmm. and just be present and be happy. And when I experienced that, I was like, oh man, I mean, I knew that I was good and I knew that sexism was a a thing, but now I really see it. Mm -hmm. I really experienced the difference. And that's, that's when I started giving talks about diversity and inclusion. And that's when I decided to become a teacher and to try to make this community, which I really believe we all want to be inclusive of everyone. I know that. Um, try to make this community into the one that we dream of. Yeah. We had an idea that I want to run by you. And you tell me if this is a good idea. And if it is, maybe we can get some people to volunteer to help us build it from the podcast. So one of our colleagues went to a conference and met some people from a program in a prison where they were teaching people how to code. But one of the main obstacles was that they didn't have internet access. Mm -hmm. And so they would scrape old versions of Stack Overflow and have these kind of like offline versions Mm -hmm. that they could read through like an encyclopedia, but they were very difficult to search and they they didn't stay up to date. So we were thinking that maybe we could create like a Stack Overflow in your pocket kind of thing where you could put 20 million asked and answered questions on a thumb drive. And then we just have to figure out how to build some kind of, you know, executable file in there, right, where you can search it and maybe, uh, I don't know about even write to it, just, you know, be able to read it offline and maybe leave notes for other people. Even just reading it would be okay, right? If it was like readable and searchable and it had all 20 million questions and we refreshed it every year. Um, what do you think? Uh, as someone who has a little bit more experience with this than we do, does that sound like something that would actually serve a, a function, a, would be valuable? I think that's a great idea. I just went, I was in a, a prison two days ago, I went to Woodburn upstate with the Bard Prison Initiative. They're a really incredible organization. They take Bard college courses and like start Bard campuses inside of prisons. Mm. Um, and I think the organization you're talking about is probably The Last Mile based in Oakland. Anyway, um, and I was there talking to the guys who are studying computer science with with BPI a couple of days ago, and they're so excellent 
It's like I walk in and these dudes are talking and they don't have the internet, right? And they're talking about like these like subtleties of like this one guy's explaining the subtleties of ES6 to this other guy. And like they're saying like, hey, I walk in with one of the program directors of BPI and they're like, hey, man, we need to get like React Native in here. Like, come on. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? <laughs> like these guys are Great. amazing. And like right. I already knew that because like I have some friends who've, who've like learned computer science th in, in prison through BPI and they're so good. So like I knew it, but I was still, it blew my mind. Right. And they were like so hungry for more resources. Yeah. And so yes, 100%, this would be so helpful. Okay. I love that. Okay, well, if you're listening to the podcast and you want to help us build it, uh, hit me up at Ben Popper and we'll try to figure it out. That's going to be our CSR. Yeah. initiative for 2020. <laughs> Love it. Um, so people that are listening that may not live in New York City, how can they help? So we just launched our first ever Giving Tuesday campaign. And so we're trying to raise $10,000 by the end of the year. So if you want to donate, you can go to codecooperative.org. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're always looking for volunteers. So if you're interested in volunteering, you can sign up on our website. Come on, coders. This is your chance to use your ridiculously ludicrously high salaries <laughs> yeah. for a good... <laughs> I bet one of you can write a $10,000 check. I Come know, on, let's right? let's do it. No. You know what? Let me be more ambitious. $100,000. Yeah, we can do it. Ten of you, $10,000 check. Yeah, I mean, all that money goes to supporting our programs. We're really providing a safe space for people who have come home from prison to learn to code, to create technologies that that solves problems that they that themselves have experienced to get access to more work opportunities. We're trying to build this paid apprenticeship program to actually lead to jobs for people who have been to prison. And when we create opportunities for people coming home from prison to have free and successful lives like the rest of us who have had the luck of not being incarcerated, like everyone benefits, truly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, get out your... Bitcoin wallets or whatever. I'm <laughs> um, just kidding. We don't take Bitcoin donations yet. Buy um, Bitcoin. Sarah. <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> yeah, and just to, you know, sign up to sign up for our newsletter. Spread the word. We're really hoping to launch a national movement. Tell people as we sign off from this where they can find you if they want to reach out. Sure. Um, CodeCooperative.org. Um, you know, we're Code Cooperative on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at Alex Chin. And um, please, yeah, donate to our Giving Tuesday campaign, uh, which is linked to on our website, on our Twitter, on our Instagram. We'll put it um, in the show notes. Amazing. Donate a laptop. Email us if you want to volunteer. And just, um, you know, get involved wherever you can. Like, do what I did, you know? Like, I didn't know anyone who had been formerly incarcerated or who worked in criminal justice reform. And I just emailed Lo local nonprofits. And I said, like, how can I help? And if you're interested in doing some something similar, like, please do. We're really trying to increase our collective consciousness and heal together no matter what form that takes. Great. Build a movement. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having, having lunch me. With us. This was lovely. This is the part where we, now we're going to chew heavily into the microphone. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs>